0: Welcome, everybody, and city campus as well. Last, yesterday, we had a wonderful time at DC 2022. How many of you agree that we had a great time, yeah? And uh, I just want to take this moment to thank everyone who have uh, put the uh, conference together. Pastor Singap. thank you for your leadership in organizing this entire uh, conference. It's been an amazing time, really. We look forward to next year's when we will be talking about mentoring as our next uh, subject matter. And, For those of you who were here yesterday, we ended the entire conference on this note, that at the end of the day, discipleship is not just about a system or a curriculum. It's not just about um, processes that we put in place, but at the end of the day, we are the delivery system. That it's people who disciple people. So in order to reproduce disciples of a certain kind, we must first ourselves be disciples of a certain kind. And and therefore, discipleship really begins with the work of God in each one of us individually. And for that, we need more than just knowledge of the Word. It is the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. And as we seek to obey what the Word is saying to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where we begin to see discipleship and transformation happen in our lives. And for that reason, over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about not only growing deeper in God's Word, which we have focused on the last six months, um, or the last half of this year, but we are also going to talk, there's a need for us to get to know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and allow the Word and the Spirit to come together. And through that, we experience transformation. So I wanna begin this entire series for the next three weeks. Uh, I'll be taking the next two weeks and then Pastor Philip Lin will be coming for that final uh, week on. Then along with that, we will be having Every Friday, from this Friday onwards, for the next three Fridays, we'll be having a time where we come together as a congregation to seek the face of God. So so this Friday, instead of having our connect groups, everybody will be coming together to seek God together and allow God and encounter the God of the Word and allow Him to work in all of our lives. And every one of you are invited to be a part of that revival nights for the next three Fridays. Now allow me this morning to take you to a passage that I want to begin this entire series with and that is found in Malachi chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, would you please go with me to Malachi chapter three. I want to read for you something from verse one to verse six. Malachi chapter three, verses one to six. Listen to what the prophet Malachi wrote. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me And he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and has not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Almighty, Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to us. God, our hearts desire to be revived, our hearts desire to be set on fire by you. Lord, may the altars of our heart be rekindled by the fire of your Holy Spirit as we listen to your word this morning. Lord, and as your word is being unfolded, let it bring light to us and help us to see what it takes for a visitation of God in our midst. So we commit this time of preaching and sharing to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you remember this name, R.L. Stevenson. Um, That name will be familiar to some of the older generation because he's the author of a book that we used to study in literature, entire Treasure Island. Have you heard of that book, Treasure Island? R.L. Stevenson was the author of Treasure Island. And he grew up in those days when streetlights were still being lighted manually by a worker every evening, by refilling the oil and then lighting the fire. And one night, Stevenson, as a little boy, was looking out of his window when he shouted to his grandma. And this is what he said to grandma. He said, Grandma, come and see. Grandma, come and see. There is is a man punching holes in the darkness. (laughs) Can you picture this? There is a man punching holes in the darkness. Now, I like this phrase punching holes in the darkness because I think this is what I believe the church should be about. In a world that is darkened by sin, you and I have been sent metaphorically to punch holes in the darkness so that the glory of God may shine in. And in times of revival, what happens is God rends the heavens and then he comes down in power and glory, punching huge holes in the darkness. And church, this is what we must look forward to. Malachi chapter 3, in verses 1 to 5 and verse 1 to 6, it talks about two messengers. I don't know if you noticed this, right? There are two messengers that it talks about. The first is John the Baptist, right? Who is sent as a messenger to prepare the way. For who? For the messenger of the covenant. Who is that? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are two messengers, right? First is John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant, who is Christ himself. And Malachi chapter 2, verse 7, in the chapter before, it actually ended with a poignant question that the people were posing to God. They were actually asking God, where is the God of justice? And then here in Malachi chapter 3, God is about to provide the answer. And the answer is our Lord Jesus. The messenger of the covenant is coming. But here's an important insight that you must not miss. Malachi chapter 3 is not just talking about the first coming of Christ, which was the immediate future. But it is also speaking eschatologically about the second coming of Christ as judge. Jesus came first in his first coming as saviour. But in his second coming which is to come, he is gonna come as judge. And for those, like the people of Israel, who actually think that the return of the Lord will be a non-issue, since they are already God's people, Malachi actually warned them that they may not be able to stand when he appears. So if we look at Malachi chapter three, verse two, it says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus comes again, he's coming not just to bring salvation as saviour, but he's also coming to bring retribution as judge. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 5, he says, So I will come near to you for judgment. I will come near to you for judgment. But before Jesus comes again, I believe that we are going to see darkness uh, becoming darker. But at the same time, the light will become brighter, right? Before Jesus comes again, and we are living in those days now, right? Pending his soon coming, the world is becoming darker. But at the same time, I believe the church will experience revival. That God will send, God did this, right? In his first coming, he sent a prophet, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming, And he will again send the prophetic to prepare his church before he comes again a second time. And we will once again see the power, the spirit of revival. And when God's revival comes, it will renew the church. But more than that, it will reform society. And how many of you would agree that we are all yearning for revival? Are you? I don't know about you, but I'm not content with where the church is today. I'm yearning for God to come and do something. And, and this word that I want to share with you this morning is really to prepare us for God's visitation. When I look at what is written for us in Malachi chapter 3 prophetically, uh, I, I, I see four phases of revival. And I want to outline those phases for us. Okay, The first is this. Phase one, if God were to come and revive His church, if God, if God were to come and visit us, there will be four phases. The, phase, the first phase... I will call it preparation. It's a preparation phase. Before revival breaks out, it is always preceded by a season of preparation. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 begins like this. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Before every major revival that I've studied and looked at over church history, it is always preceded by a season of preparation. Evan Roberts, which we are all familiar with, was instrumental in ushering in the Welsh revival, one of the greatest revival in modern um, church history. Do you know he he prayed 13 years to see the move of God? 13 years he cried out to God, come, do something in in, in my country. And God sent his spirit and revived Wales but he prayed 13 years, three months before revival broke out in Wales. God would wake Evan Roberts up at 1 a.m. every morning and he would pray from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. and then suddenly revival came. James Edwin Orr, who is a, um, a student of revival, he studied revival over a period of 60 years and he summarized his 60 years of study with this one statement and it goes like this. Whenever God is ready to do something new with His people, He first set them praying. Before God is ready to do something new with His people, He first set them praying. How many of you would want to see revival in Perth? Don't we? I want to see revival in Perth. And you know what needs to happen? I think that's why we are calling for three revival nights for the next three Fridays when all of our cell groups have just come together to seek the face of God, right here in this hall. And and listen, the greatest hindrance to world evangelism is not the lack of personnel. I don't think it's the lack of talents or or, or, or persecution or, or resistance of government or religious uprising or even terrorism. I think the greatest hindrance to world evangelism is the carnality of the church. Don't mind me saying that. I think it's the carnality of the church. Our love affair, you know, with the world, our lack of passion for Jesus and our prayerlessness, it all adds up to become mighty roadblocks that stands in the way of God's agenda and purpose for this world. The starting point of revival, my friends, is not just a passion for the harvest, it's not just a passion for ministry or even lost people, but I think it begins with a passion for God himself. That's the starting point of revival, Spreading his name, spreading his fame throughout the earth must be our highest pursuit. That's the starting point of revival. And church, now is the time for us to return to the altar of God and we cry out to God until he rents the heavens and come down and he punched huge holes in the darkness. How many of you will say amen to that? This is one of those messages you need to talk back at me. You got to talk to me, okay? There's so many good points to say amen, ayo. <laughs> come on. That's phase one, It's preparation. Phase two is visitation, visitation. And as, we, as God's people prepare, as we posture our heart, God will just come suddenly. A visitation can happen. Uh, I don't know if you have ever seen those um, computer art. Nowadays, it's not so common. You know, there was one season, they were very popular, this computer-generated art with a lot of dots in it, very colorful. And then you gotta stare at it. And then if you stare at it long enough, suddenly the Eiffel Tower will come out. You know, the Statue of Liberty will jump out at you. Have you seen one of those? It's amazing, you know. But the first time I was introduced to it was some cell group, you know, in the church introduced me to it, and they brought a few of those pictures and they put it in front of me and they said, Pastor, you look at it, you look at it. Inside you've got a Statue of Liberty. This one has the Eiffel Tower. I said, is it? Yeah, I didn't see anything. But I said, never mind, you just stare at it, just stare at it. So I sat there and I stared at it for a long time, you know. 15, 20 minutes I was staring at it, nothing came out. So I said, nothing. And then one of them taught me this. You know, you, you got to cock your eye. You cock your eye. And then you, when you try and cock your eye, you will see it. And So I sat there and cocked my eye, you know. Cocked for so long, see nothing. In the end, I just gave up. So one of them turned to me and said, I think the secret is this. You got to relax. The secret is, relax. just look at it, and then you relax until you like almost fall asleep. Then suddenly you'll come up. I tried. It worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> Actually worked. You know, so I sat there, I, I was cocking, then still cannot, then rest, almost giving up. Then suddenly, wow! the Eiffel Tower came up. And I saw it. And the, the, the key is this, you know, suddenly. When you least expect it, boom, the thing came up. And then I saw it. And once you see it, right, you'll keep seeing it. It's it's the same with revival. The Spirit comes suddenly to a people prepared for His visitation. You look at Malachi 3.1, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple. In Acts chapter 2, this is what happened, right? 120 people were gathered in the upper room for prayer. Their hearts were in prayer, their minds were in the Word, Their posture was one of waiting upon the Lord. They they were thinking about the promise that God gave to them. Stay in Jerusalem until my spirit is given. Until the gift comes. So they were all waiting on God. They were a people prepared and postured for the spirit and power of revival. And God's answer to them was Pentecost. And read. Acts chapter 2 verse 2, what does it say? It says, suddenly, again you see the word suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And the amazing thing about revival is this, no matter how prepared we may think we are, when revival comes, it is always a surprise. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, revival is a season of suddenlies during which God, you know, God works swiftly. He works intensely he does things in days and weeks that would normally take months and years. 2 Chronicles 29 recorded another revival that took place under the leadership of King Hezekiah. What did Hezekiah do? He consecrated the priest, and then the first thing he did in his reign, he opened up the doors of the temple, and then revival came. Second Chronicles 29 verse 36 recorded this. Listen, he says, so the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished, And Hezekiah and all the people rejoice at what God has brought about for His people. Why? Because it was done so quickly. Suddenly it happened. And in revival, the work of the Lord is accelerated. In revival, God's people are awakened suddenly. There's an increased consciousness of sin. You know, when revival comes, people have an increased consciousness of sin. There's an acute sense of the fear of God. There's a spirit of of repentance that will hit the church. There's a hunger for God's Word and God's presence. There's a greater desire for the things of God. I I know that for a fact because I've seen it before. I've experienced it before. In a season of revival, all these things will happen without you trying to engineer it. It just comes. You know, this year, 2022, friends, is the 50th year of the charismatic outpouring in Asia-Pacific. You know, many people have been tracing the the, the outpouring of the Spirit in the Asia-Pacific region, which includes Australia and New Zealand. And they traced it back around the early 1970s. So it's about 50 years ago. This is a jubilee year for the outpouring. And I pray, God, you come and do it again. Come and do it again. And I happened to be saved during that era. And I lived through that revival. Recently, a social media pa- platform uh, called Salt and Light decided to trace the revival. And they came up with a video series on it entitled 1972. And Salt and Light, when they wanted to release this new video to trace the outpouring, uh, they interviewed different people. And I happened to be interviewed for that video uh, because I was a beneficiary uh, of the outpouring. And Because of the interview, they make me recall back, you know, everything that happened 50 years ago. It's a long time ago. I had to sit down and recall, you know, what happened, what was it like during that season? And you know what came out of that whole experience? I remembered, as I recall all those things, I remembered how simple ministry was then. You can be just half good as a preacher. You know, you don't even need to be good. You just be half good. You get up to the pulpit and you share it from your heart and the altars will be filled with people. You know, people get saved, left, right and center, just by a simple sharing of the gospel. Whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's at home, in the church, it was just happening. You know, a simple sharing of a testimony and people would just come, come to the Lord. You know, people were getting healed. Demons were being cast out, you know, just like that. But now, I find ministry can be so hard, you know. You know, back in then, the, the, when, the, when the Spirit was poured out, it's like you put in one ounce of energy, you get three ounces of fruit back. Now you put three ounces of energy, you also get no fruit. And you wonder why? Why is it so hard? But I remember, it was just so easy. Why? Because the Spirit of God was moving. And Today, I sense, wow, there's so much barriers to break through. There's so much skepticism and unbelief. And and as I was going through all of that, suddenly, you know, something began to stir within my heart. And since that interview, you know, there's this holy discontent that rose up within me. And this desire, and I began to cry out to God, God, you have done it before. Come and do it again. Come and do it again. And that has been my cry. It's been my burden. And that's why I wanted, I asked if the church could just let me talk about this for these next few weeks. That during a time of God's visitation, and that was what I saw in my own eyes. During a time of God's visitation, the most hardened sinner can break down before God. The most skeptical person can be touched by the power of God. You know, I, uh, we, we may have some friends, all of us have some friends that we consider to be hard nuts. Do you have friends like that? They're like hard nuts, you know? <laughs> like nothing could crack. But when you pray and we usher in the visitation of the Spirit of the Lord, I tell you, when in the time of God's visitation, the Lord himself will become our nutcracker. How many of you know that when God becomes our nutcracker, no nut can stand before him? <laughs> no nut can stand before him. And listen, we are, I'm not looking for signs of revival. What I'm looking for is a substance of revival. I really want to see people being transformed. I really want to see lost souls being saved. And I'm not trying to get all of us to try and repeat history, what happened 50 years ago. No, we can't. No, it's not about going back to what, what we did then, you no know, blow so fast, wave banners. It's not just about those outward signs. I'm talking about an inward thing. That, that I, I think the new generation, my children, my children's children, need their own Pentecost. They need their own experience of what it means to have the Spirit poured out upon them. And I think we need that. Phase one is preparation. We posture our heart to say, God, come and do it again. Phase two, suddenly a visitation can come. But when that visitation comes, we come to phase three, which is purification. Purification. That... When, when the Holy Spirit begins to move in our midst, it's not just so that we can all have a good time, get slain, and then all you know, speak in tongues, and get up, go outside, and eat potluck dinners. It's not that. Something will happen that is much deeper than just experiencing some manifestation. It's not that. I think revival is a baptism in the refining fire of God. It's a baptism in the refining fire of God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, the prophet sounded a warning to those that are seeking a visitation of the Lord. Look at verse 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. He's like a laundress's soap. You know what laundress refiner's fire is like? It is intense. That's how you, 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 you refine gold you got to have intense heat. What, you know what laundress, laundress soap is like? It is not those nice soap that we have, fragrance and all that. It's just rough, you know, one long bar. And then you rub everything and everything comes out. Laundress soap, hard soap. And that's what we need. And he says that he will be like refiner's fire, laundress soap. He sits as a refiner, purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. In times of true Holy Ghost revival, God will purify his church. He'll purify us. He'll move up close to each one of us, put his finger in the different areas of our life, our financial dealings, our business practices, Our marriage condition, the relationships we have, the attitudes that we hold, you know, the the habits that we form, the movies that we watch, the websites that we visit. He comes near, he put his finger on those areas and he says, clean it up, get purified. Things that we compromise and sweep under the carpet, God's refining fire will come near to expose and then to depose. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know it is not a destructive fire, it is a purifying fire. It's not a fire to bring condemnation, it's a fire to bring correction so that we can be purified. And when that fire comes, we cannot remain the same. But we have to change. I always believe that revival will separate the sheep from the goat, the passionate from the lukewarm. Someone says, you know, during times of revival, the fence is electrified. So you cannot sit on the fence. You're either for or against. You sit on it and pssst, you get it. You cannot be neutral. It's like you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You cannot be a little bit pregnant. You know, it's like that. See, you're either hot or you're cold, you cannot be lukewarm. And the key is this. The key is not to run away from the refiner's fire or the laundress soap. The key is to draw near and love Jesus as our refiner. Love Him as our refiner. He comes to bring a fire to purify. Let Him clean us. Let Him heal us and let Him set us free. Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4 is true. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who have clean hands and pure hearts. And please, as you're listening to this, let's listen for ourselves. Don't listen for your husband or your wife. Don't listen for your Sally. Don't listen for the person next to you. Listen for ourselves. God, are you putting your finger in some area of my life? Come. Clean me up. Malachi 3, verse 3 to 5, put it this way then when you go through that purification, then the Lord will have men who will bring us offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Phase one is preparation. Phase two, visitation. Phase three is purification. But for what? It's so that we can come into phase four. That's reformation. Transformation. The final phase of revival is when an awakened church begins to touch a broken society. It has to be that. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. So I will come near to you for judgment. And then listen carefully to what it goes on to say. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows, the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. What is that talking about? Notice the, the things that are there. It's talking about widows. And it's talking about aliens. It's talking about justice, oppressing the widows, the fatherless, and defrauding laborers of their wages. What are all those things? It's talking about the transformation of society, But what goes on in society, all the evils that goes on there, all the social injustice that goes on. God wants to deal with those things, you see? And when the church in a nation sleeps, Society was sin. That's what happened. But when the church is awakened, then she releases the fear of the Lord into society. And once the church is revived and purified, God is ready to confront society. And I believe the loss will start coming to Christ. One of the most powerful revivals in history, the Welsh Revival, started in 1904. And when that happened, you know, during that revival, bars casinos, cinemas, they all closed down. You know why? Because nobody's showing up. They were all in church. It went on for years, you know. For about four years it went on. And those places just run out of business. So they shut down. Because guys are all found in church. The coal miners, and you know Wales is a coal mining world, right? And they're all rough people. The coal miners, they were so touched by the, press, the power of God that the coal miners literally cleaned up their language. And after a while, the donkeys in the mines couldn't, couldn't work because they cannot recognize the commands anymore. <laughs> Usually they were, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> do this, you know, you move, da-da-da, all the language would come up. But now they, without the language, the donkeys so can, get confused. <laughs> and it's, it's just such a move of God such a move of God. It cleaned up society. You know, for two weeks, this is true, 1935 for two weeks, the great Chinese evangelist by the name of John Sung came to preach in Singapore. Over 2,000 people were saved in that two weeks. And over 100 preaching bands, you know, people that are being sent out to preach the gospel everywhere. Over 100 polygamists, Now you've got to understand that we are in the Chinese world back then. Everybody has got multiple wives, you know, so they're all polygamists. And through that revival, over 100 polygamists put away their concubines. And all the Bibles in Bible society were sold out. Hingwa Methodist Church, which was a church where I was pastor for several years, was actually opened by John Sung himself. And I had the privilege of pastoring in that church to standing on the ground where John Sung used to preach. And this was a revival that literally lasted to today. Up to today, the church is still there. During the Methodist revival in, uh, under John and Charles Wesley, it so impacted society that historians actually wrote, and these are secular historians, they actually wrote this, England is never the same after John and Charles Wesley. I think revivals are powerful times when God moves in awesome ways. And we will see backslidden Christians beginning to slide back to the church and the unsafe getting safe. In Acts chapter 2, after the 120 were touched by the Holy Spirit, I want you to notice they did not just have a good time lying on the carpet, speaking tongues, get up and go eat pork dinners. They didn't. What happened after that? They all spewed out onto the streets and they started proclaiming the gospel to their society and 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this is the fruit of all revivals, the salvation of the lost. So let me end by saying this. There are four phases of revival we see in Malachi chapter three, and they have a lot to instruct us. Phase one is preparation, where we posture our heart to say, God, come and do it again. Phase two is visitation. When God would just come and visit us, suddenly, his spirit will be poured out. Phase three is purification. And when God's spirit is poured out, it's not just so that we can all have a good time, get excited and go home. He will put his finger in different areas of our life and he will clean us up. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to be cleaned up by God. Why not? Let, it's not a condemning fire. It's a, it's a correcting fire. I want him to come, purify me. And then when the church is awakened, we'll be ready to confront society. The fear of the Lord will be released into the marketplaces of the world. And a true Holy Ghost revival will come. The question is this, where does it all begin? Now for years, we have quoted 2 Chronicles 7.14 as the war cry of revival. Is that right? We all go to that verse, right? And it reads like this, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And don't miss this. Listen carefully. Therefore, we all begin to stress the if, if we do all these things, if we humble ourselves, pray, seek His face, turn from our sin, then we will have revival. But I want to, I want to say to you today, That these things are not prerequisites to revival, but they are revival itself. Hear me. These things are not prerequisites to revival. I actually believe they are revival itself. The forgiveness of sin, the healing of our land, they are only the results of revival. Yes, it is true that we must individually, corporately, humble ourselves, pray, seek His face, and turn from our wicked ways. But I want you to know that we don't just, we, we don't want to end up with this Eve then mentality. Because if we do, then we will start in the Spirit and we can end up in the flesh by reducing the sovereign moves of God to, in, in, into a formula that, that we, we now begin to think that, hey, I know how revival is done. I I know how I can bring it about I know how to get a revival If we just get organised We mobilise everybody to do these few things You know, get everybody to humble themselves Pray, seek His face Then revival will come And the next thing you know We will end up using human effort To bring about a spiritual transformation Our dependence begins to shift From God to our ability To make things happen for God Are you with me? I actually believe that the moment your hearts are being stirred to want to come and pray, to want to humble yourself, to want to seek His face, revival is already here. That is why we have these prayer nights. It's not so that we can get revival. It's because I believe God is already stirring in your heart. God is already putting a desires inside of you to say, "I want to see revival," and you are willing to come and seek His face. That in itself is revival. I don't want us to end up in this formulaic way of approaching this and to think that we can bring about revival if we organise it into being. Because we cannot. Church, the answer is not rooted in what you and I can do to bring about revival. But our theological anchor for revival is rooted in this. It's rooted in a God who never changed. It is rooted in the covenant-keeping God. It's rooted in the immutability of God, the unchanging God, the, in, the, the, the faithful one, the God who never differs from Himself. How do I come to this conclusion? Look at verse 6. It tells us where the anchor is. The anchor is this. In verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And that is why you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Do you know it is only by the grace of God, it's only because we serve a covenant-keeping God that you and I are still sitting here today. Has it not been for the cross? None of us would have survived our own sin. We would have been finished a long time ago. It's only because we serve a covenant-keeping God. It's only because we serve a God who never changed. That is why we are not destroyed. You see, and he goes on to say, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. But the good news is this, we serve a covenant-keeping God. He said, if you return to me, I will return to you. We take one step towards God, He's going to take 10 steps towards us. You draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. True awakenings happens when we realise in the depths of our being, there is no good thing in us. It's only by the grace of God, the faithfulness of our God, that we can come to Him in repentance and brokenness. No, we come humbly to our covenant-keeping God who never changes. We draw near to Him and He will draw near to us. And I'm so confident that God will do it again. Not because we can organize it. Not because we can mobilize. No. Only because He is a God who never changes. Amen. And in this is our anchor. We serve a God who never changes. Let me leave you with this and then we'll pray. James Edwin Orr, who is a student Of Revival, later became a professor of revival uh, in Witten College. And the story was told about one semester he took the graduating class from Witten College to go and to go to Epsworth, which is the place where John Wesley was born. He took the class to Epsworth to visit the home of John Wesley. And it was a highlight of their, of their course. You know. So he took them and he went through the whole house. This is where John Wesley studied. This is where he ate. This is, they, they visited his home. The highlight of that visit was when they took them to John Wesley's bedroom. Took them beside his bed. When there were two indentations on the floor of the, of the, next to his bed. It was where John Wesley would kneel to pray for years calling for revival, calling for God to pour out His Spirit. And the students were so inspired as they sat, they stood in the place where John Wesley prayed. And then he took the students and they all got onto the bus. They were about to leave. He counted the number of students and realised that one one student was missing. So the professor had no choice. He went back to the house to look for him and he found him actually in John Wesley's bedroom, kneeling in that spot. And he was praying. And his prayer was simply this, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. And he walked up to that student, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Billy, we got to go. And Billy Graham stood up from that place. From that place. And you know what? I think God heard his prayer. He said, God, do it again. Do it again. I think God heard that prayer. And in 1978, Billy Graham came to Singapore. And that was when I was saved. And ever since that crusade in 1978, Singapore was never the same after that. He went around to all the other countries around that area. The whole area has never been the same. Prior to that, we had no big churches in our nation in Singapore. After that, Mega churches started springing up everywhere because people were getting saved. The move of God was there. I don't know about you, but I'm praying, God, in this 50th year, a year of jubilee, come and do it again. Come and do it again. Let it begin with me. Come and revive your people. Come and revive your church. I think we have yet to see, you know, what God can do with an awakened church. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with where we are at all. I think we, we, have, we are punching below our weight simply because we need God to come and do something new in each one of us. Amen. Don't know about you, I'm crying in my heart. God, come and do it again. Why don't you stand with me this morning? <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I believe that God is just, in this very simple way, God wants us to respond to Him, whether you're here on city campus or even online. Let's respond to Him. I believe God is stirring something within our hearts to say, God, I want to see. I want to see you do it again. Lord, you've done it before. I've seen how you've done it before. Come and do it again. Revive us, oh God. Put your finger in the areas of our life that we need to be cleaned up. Come and clean us. Let the refiners fire and the laundress soap come and clean us so that we can be awakened this morning. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for you in a few moments, but I I wanna open this place for you to just, if you know that God is speaking to you and you feel stirring within your heart in this very simple way, without trying to generate anything, but in simplicity, would you just step out from where you are and you just come because you feel God, come and do it again. And if that's your prayer, you can just come. And then we find a place at the altar where we can cry out to God. And we say, God, come. And do it again and begin with me begin with me revive my heart and then use me you know, and i believe god is here to meet with us so allow me to pray and then i'm going to invite you to come father i ask in jesus name that your holy spirit will stir a desire in each one of our hearts lord we're not content where we are but cause a holy discontent to come into our spirit. Where we want to see our society transform. But let's be, help us to begin with an awakened church. And help us to begin by stirring it up within us. Lord, I pray that you will come and you speak to your people this morning. And God, together we want to cry out to you. Lord, you have done it before. You can do it again. Come and do it again, we pray.